Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Allison. Thank you. Hi, my name is Allison. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Allison. Hi, everybody. I'm a little um, emotional. The last time I spoke here was seven and a half years ago before I moved to Colorado. And I had to be super vague because um, my husband was job interviewing and I sponsored a bunch of people here and I hadn't told them yet we might be moving. And um, so I was like, oh, yeah, big decision coming up. Don't know, you know, what that's going to be, you know. And that was like the whole, my whole, not my whole talk, but part of my talk. And so here I am. We did move to Colorado. And um, through a series of circumstances, I'm in town for a few very sad funeral for tomorrow, but Lucy called me and said she had a cancellation. So I'm like, okay, cool. And um, it is, it's great to be here. It's an honor to be here. These, um, these podcasts save my ass, and pardon my language, and um, I know I'm supposed to cuss. I hope that's the worst it will be, and it will be. Um, in Colorado, um, I feel like Los Angeles is the hotbed of OA. Like, it really rocks here. And um, Quick shout out to my home group in Boulder, Colorado. We have this cute little sweet meeting Tuesdays at noon. So hi, everybody, Tuesdays at noon, because I'm going to tell them. I, I always tell them. I go to the meetings. I'm like, listen to the podcast, because I think it's really hard to get and stay abstinent without hearing speakers speak whole stories. So with that said, I will begin. Um, and apologies to those of you who heard my talk multiple times, because the stories don't really change. Um, I've been, um, my abstinence date is June 17th, 1989. That is not my um, official entry into OA. I came, I had a therapist named Patricia Vidiello, and I say her name because I want to, um, Patricia 12-stepped me into AA and OA, and I'm really hoping that someday someone will reach out to me and say, I know Patricia, I have her number here, call her, because I want to tell this woman how fundamentally she transformed a life. You know, I don't believe I would be alive today if I hadn't gotten sober, much less abstinent. I don't think if I'd gotten abstinent, I would be alive today. I, I truly would have killed myself. Um, and the, and so when she 12-stepped me, um, if somebody had said to me, no one did because I wouldn't have really understood what they were talking about, it would have sounded like Greek. If they had said, Allison, you come to OA, get sober yet, but come to OA on top of that sobriety, and you will have a life beyond your wildest dreams. You will no longer think constantly about food, your body, your weight, how you're doing in the world. You won't beat yourself up on a daily basis if you come to OA. That would have been Greek. I would have been like, what are you talking about? That was my whole existence, my whole life, until I sort of fell into these rooms at 21 and then ultimately got abstinent at 25. And... Um, you know, I am a hard, hardcore compulsive overeater. There is nothing vague or like maybe, maybe not about my eating disorder. I can binge with the best of them. I am capable of eating 6,000 calories a day, day in, day out, nonstop. I am capable of gaining a pound a day, no problem. My highest weight that I ever saw on a scale was 175. And the reason why that's the highest I ever saw on a scale is because I knew enough, oh, don't do that again. 
don't get on the scale again, like really bad idea. And so I, I'm sure I went higher. I just knew better than to get on a scale. And, um, you know, and I'm also, I was a model in New York City. I was on the cover of Seventeen Magazine. Um, I came by that totally weirdly. I was this chubby, neither here nor there kid, teased mercilessly. There was nothing, no one was looking at me and, oh, Allison, such potential. No, that was like, it was just like, oh, Allison. Like, I was just kind of flat, one-dimensional. I was just in my eating disorder, you know, and I just had no personality. My personality was, oh, what perfume do you like? Oh, that's the perfume I like. I, I didn't know who I was, what I was. I was flat, blah, and chubby and uninteresting. And then I went on a diet at 15, and six months later, I was modeling in New York City. And it was, it was so freaky, right? Because you take somebody, my eating disorder tells me that I am worthless, that I'm useless, that I am ugly, that I bring nothing to the party. I mean, that is just the constant tape in my head as having somebody with an eating disorder. And next thing I know, I am in New York City because I'm skinny, and they're like, and the whole time, I did it um, for two years, and I was in New York, and I was in Paris, and I was in um, Munich, and I was doing it in Los Angeles, and the whole time, I just wanted to say, you're all wrong, I am not a model, hello, but they would throw makeup on it, throw clothes on me, and um, what I did, so I started, um, my eating disorder has been out of the gate from the youngest of ages, and I started smoking pot at 12, drinking, you know, drinking with a vengeance at 14 and, and stuff. And so what I would do until I wound up stumbling into 12-step programs in 1985 was I would balance my eating disorder and my alcoholism, right? So when my alcoholism was really up, my eating disorder was really low. And conversely, when my eating disorder was really up, my alcoholism was really low. And so what happened when I was living in New York City is when I drank, I was getting in a ton of trouble. I never got in trouble from my eating disorder, right? Like, who wakes up blindly with some random guy in the morning from your eating disorder? Like, never. Maybe someone, there will be somebody, you know, who will, yeah, I did that. But I didn't. And um, and so my... Um, my eating disorder was out of control when I was modeling. Um, and so they wanted me to be hundred between 108 and 112 pounds. I'm five foot eight. I weigh, I have no idea what I weigh now. I'm thinking around 140-ish. I have no idea. Um, but to do that, I had to eat about 800 calories a day and with no salt. And so that's how, you know, periodically I could get skinny. And when I was between 100 and 112, I would work. The second I got to 113, I wouldn't work. They wouldn't. I was taking the modeling shoots, and they would hire me to go on the shoot, sent me to Canada once, and they saw that I weighed like 113, 114 pounds, and they never put makeup on me. And all these other models are out there doing it, and they just had me sit in the trailer because I was too fat. And, um, and so... Um, fast forward, I ate my way out of that career, had to come back to Los Angeles, and, you know, eventually through a series of circumstances started seeing Patricia, and um, she's like, I really think you should go check into an outpatient eating disorders, or an inpatient eating disorders unit, but back then it was thousands of dollars, and it's like, yeah, no, but um, I checked myself into AA and OA, and I went to this amazing meeting over by UCLA called um, OA for AA, we don't have them anymore, but it was, you know, a bunch of us, you know, sitting in this meeting talking. And the most important thing that meeting had 
was um, you asking you if you had less than 30 days. So if you had less than 30 days, just like an A, you had to raise your hand. And I was a hard, I'm a hardcore binger and I'm a hard, hardcore sugar addict, right? Just is never enough. I'll give you an example of that. I was working, um, after I'd eventually gotten off sugar, I was working at UCLA's student store. And anybody who's been there, they had this entire aisle that was like the length of this room that had just nothing but sugar stuff on either side between candy, sweets, whatever it was, pastries. And I remember once standing at the top of the aisle, and this is with OA underneath my belt, but I um, wasn't in OA anymore. I came and left. And I stand at the top of the aisle, and I look down, and I go, not enough. Not enough. It is never enough. To this day, I feel like if I were to take one bite of a piece of cake, my entire life will be gone because it will not ever be enough. Um, and so I came, and they kept having us raise our hands if you had less than 30 days. So I'd get like a week off of sugar, and then I'd eat it. And then, and my sugar, I mean, for me, it's sugar in obvious dessert forms. I have to stay away from any cookie, cake, pastry, anything like that. And um, then I'd get two weeks, and then I'd lose it, and I'd binge. And, and one time I got 28 days, and I was so incredibly proud of that 28 days. It was like, oh, 28 days of no sugar, woohoo! And I ate sugar again. And um, I was just I was mortified, but I went in there and I kept raising my hand. And then I got 30 days, and it was right before Halloween, and I was handing out Halloween candy to trick-or-treaters coming through my neighborhood. And it was my favorite candies, of course. And um, I looked at it, and I wanted to eat one so badly, and I just, I'm like, okay, God, no. I won't eat it. I wanted it. I wanted it so badly. And I didn't eat it. And I have not. That was October 24th, 1985. And I have not had sugar in any obvious dessert forms since then. I don't worry about things like ketchup. I don't eat it very often. It doesn't seem to trigger me. But I swear to God, you put one bite of cookie in my mouth and I would be off and running. So October. But I don't call that my abstinence because I actually, I came to OA and I was in it for two and a half years having three binges a day, not to last longer than an hour in length. And I really tried. I was going to meetings. I had a sponsor. I was working the steps. And I just couldn't get this thing. And I did what they tell us not to do, which is that I left away and went out to just try other options. And I have tried everything, either before I got to OA and even after that first stint in OA of, like, Weight Watchers, Silva Mind Control, veganism, I mean, anything to try to get my eating disorder in check. And, um, and nothing worked. And... What happened was um, I had dropped out of college, and I went back to college, and um, after I graduated from UCLA, and I, I don't throw this one small aside, sorry, I jump around a lot, it's one small aside, so you know how you'll hear speakers talk about, oh, and I went back to college, and I got, I got a 3.9 GPA, and I was on Dean's List, and oh, everything was great. I'm like, no, I barely scraped by, but I wanted that stupid degree. So um, so I went back to college, I graduated, and then just what happened is I was sober four years, and I wasn't absent. I wasn't eating sugar. 
Um, but I also um, was, I was binging. So my abstinence is I don't eat sugar in any obvious dessert forms, and I don't binge no matter what. And generally, I eat three meals a day with a fruit snack, typically in between. Every once in a while, if a situation arises, that might fluctuate minorly. But if I were to binge or if I was eat sugar in dessert form, this whole 30 years goes away, and I start all over again from ground one. So um, what happened was I was sober four years and working my butt off in that program. I wasn't doing OA, and my life was gray and flat. And gray and flat is only food can do to a compulsive overeater. Right, only using food where it's like I am just subsisting, right? Nothing vibrant, nothing down, and I'm constantly in my friggin' head. I am never measuring up. I'm constantly standing outside of myself, evaluating how am I doing. I'm never in a conversation with you because I'm trying to figure out do you think I'm funny? Do you like me? Am I interesting? Oh, God, that was so stupid. You just said that you're such an idiot. Like, that's all this bubble going on in my head as I pretend like I'm interacting with you. And um, and I just, I had a moment of clarity, and it was like, I can't believe I'm working this AA program, and I am so flat, and I, I feel nothing, because I'm just constantly shoving food into me. And, um, and so I came back to OA, and I started at the um, log cabin meeting, it was a Saturday morning, and they ask you if it's your first, second, or third OA meeting. And even though I'd been at hundreds, I raised my hand. And I'm like, yeah, first, second, or third. I acted like I was brand spanking new, and I was completely willing to do this whole thing differently. And I went to Serenity Sunday the next day, and I found my sponsor, um, a woman named Krishana H. And she changed my life. She put me through a series of steps and writings out of the big book that fundamentally changed how I was doing this life on life's terms thing. Because me as a compulsive overeater, my hardest, hardest thing is this stupid life on life's terms, right? Like crap coming down, real or perceived. I once heard a speaker say, I've had a lot of tragedy happen. Or I've had had a lot of tragedy in my life. Some of it happened. (laughs) <laughs> and that to me is, is, is why I'm in a 12-step program, right? That's to me why I'm here in OA and why I still do this thing 30 years later because my perceptions are wrong like 90% of the time. And so I come here and I still, I go to four or five meetings a week now still because I need something to help me go out there and cope. My natural state without this is to sit at home with the curtains closed, unshowered, no makeup on, black sweats, just gross, eating all the sweets that I could have gone and bought at the grocery store that morning, and here it is like 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, binging my brains out watching videos, because that's how long ago it was. And that is my natural state. And then to go out night and drink, and oh, and, and smoking a bonk. But... It was always sugar there. Like, I remember once when I was young, I was like 14 or 15, and a guy who had a crush on me brought me a whole thing of donut Twinkies and a whole thing of, like, ding-dongs or something like that, and I had a couch, and I put one box up here and the other box up there, and I would just watch TV and just reach up and grab these things. I mean, that's just, that's kind of close to where I am. So, Krishana um, came in, and she um, transformed me, and she gave me the gift of abstinence, and my eating disorder 
when it is time to let something go, whether it was sugar or um, stupid example, I used to eat a whole bagel in the mornings with peanut butter and jelly. Now I eat a half a bagel with peanut butter and jelly. You know, it's like whenever in recovery that I have had to give something up, my eating disorder screams at me. My eating disorder. No, you're going to die if you give that up. It will never, ever be okay. And the anxiety would just be, I'm going to die. What I have found is that when I am willing to surrender and give something up, this wackadoodle thing called God comes in and it's like, okay, are you really ready, honey? And I'm like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And God's like, just trust me on this one. Let it go, and I am not going to let you fall. And what happens is the desire goes away. That is what's freaky to me, right? That the desire to eat sugar, the desire to binge, the desire to use food to cope with life on life's terms is gone. It doesn't mean I don't eat the periodic big meal, right? It doesn't, I mean, my first year of this abstinence, Soup plantation was a viable food option, right? Do anybody remember soup plantation? It was, you know, down the street here. And it was like nothing but pastas. I mean, forget about the soup. You know, it was just 20 different pasta salads. And now my husband just, he has to accept the fact, I don't like Italian food. I don't like pasta. I just don't. I like, like, where did that desire to take care of myself come from? That is not me, right? My natural state is to hurt myself verbally and physically, right? In my head and physically, and that has gone away. I'm like, I don't even know when I stopped hating myself. It took a long, long time of abstinence before I stopped thinking I was a piece of crap. You know, it's like, wow. Yes, I love, love the gift of not binging my brain, not any sugar, but I really appreciate not hating myself and liking myself and appreciating the things that I bring to the party. And when I make a mistake, I can, I can kind of beat myself up a little bit, and then I use all my tools, call my sponsor, talk to God, whatever I have to do to, to get out of that, because life is too short. Um, I have had um, a lot of stuff happen in recovery. Um, tell one story I was thinking about that I don't usually talk about. I um, My big thing, like as soon as I came into program, I wanted to get be a wife and a mom. Bad, like bad. That's all I wanted. And my God had a sense of humor because in the 15 years before I met my husband, I had a whopping total of two and a half years of relationship time under my belt. So basically it's 12 and a half years of being single. You know, I had like two six-monthers, one one-year, and then one year-and-a-half guy. And um, when I was with the year-and-a-half guy, at that point he had been sort of the best guy I had met. Okay, this was the best guy I had met. Ready? 19 years older than me, I would have been wife number five, and he had a vasectomy, and I wanted children. And But he treated me really well, right? And I was just like, okay, God, you know, um, and I was with him, and the problem, what I didn't recognize when I was with him is that there was something suffocating me in that relationship, and I was in it for a year and a half, and without realizing I had gone into a depression and didn't know it. And what we were doing, I was absent like four years or something like that, three or four years, and we, um, we always had like chips and salsa before dinner, and we'd go out to breakfast every morning, and I was gaining weight, and I didn't realize it because I had slipped back into the um, wearing nothing but black sweats 
stage and no makeup. I was showering every day, but I was wearing black sides, so I didn't have any idea how much weight I was gaining. And, um, and then I finally, after a year and a half, just sort of came to my senses that he was not God's will for me anymore. And it was scary as hell to leave, because at that point he didn't propose to me, even though he wasn't divorced from his last marriage, but he proposed. And we were, um, exactly. And, um, and I just thought, I have to leave. And, and I did, and it was scary. So then once, so the, my higher power has dropped all these opportunities in my path to show leaps of faith, right? And my eating disorder tells me I don't have the ability to look ahead and say, because with my, all my spiritual years, I never look ahead when I'm going through something big and go, God's got this. I'm great. It's all going to be fabulous. I know that I am being handled. Can't wait, God, bring it on. Stretch me. I don't do that. I go to, oh, my God. I don't want to do this. I am scared. All I see is doom and gloom. It was telling me that this boyfriend that I was leaving was the last man. I was 29 years, 30 years old. This is the last man that is ever going to love me, propose to me. He's the best I can do. And what kind of idiot am I? But I know I'm supposed to leave. And, you know, I just was like really just terrified, you know, because here it was. Finally, someone was proposing to me. All I wanted to do was be a wife and a mom. And I knew I had to leave. And, um, and I did, and I left, and it was terrifying because I was really like, I don't know what's going to be out there. I have no idea what God's plan is. And um, I'm here to tell you there is always a plan. There is never not a plan. Every single time that I've made this kind of leap of faith, God has never dropped me. Sometimes it really doesn't go my way. My mom dying at 59 years old and having a miscarriage four days later was so not my way. You know, but I lived through it and I survived. And um, it's actually a bigger story, but I'll go back to the leaving Alan. And um, as it pertains to OA, so I'd gained this weight. And it wasn't like, because I was abstinent a while, it wasn't like I was running around beating myself up going, idiot, gained weight, idiot, gained weight. You know, it wasn't, it was just like, well, got to go get a job and got to move and got to do all this stuff. And, um, and I was um, suicidal around it, actually, a little bit, not heavily, but a little bit just you know, thinking, what's the point? You know, I want to die. And I went to a meeting that I'd never been to before and I've never been to since. And I sat in that meeting and I sobbed. And I really just thought my life was over, like truly thought it was over. You know, because I, because my eating disorder has a complete inability to look ahead properly. And this voice came to me, and I really believe it was the voice of my higher power, and the voice was, I want to see what happens. And I was like, okay. And I went to that meeting, and I stopped crying, and I went forward, and I just just went and did my life. And um, and what it ha- what was interesting is because I was no longer in that relationship, I was starting to eat less because we weren't eating appetizers before dinner every night, and um, and I wasn't losing weight. And I am I have an eating disorder, right? I mean, I kind of I kind of like the lose weight part. And um, and I was like okay, God, you know, I'm, I'm eating less. Can we have some little payback here? And that was my initial thought. And then finally one night I was on my knees and I just said, God, if I don't lose an ounce, that's fine. Because I love the way I'm eating right. It just feels so healthy for my body. It wasn't restrictive, but it was just healthy. It was very loving towards myself. And I'm like, all right, God, if I don't lose an ounce, that is totally fine. And 
lo and behold, I woke up one morning and I'd lost most of the weight. And really it was like that. Like I just wasn't aware of it. And it, the reason I want to tell that story is it reminds me like my weight is none of my business at all. Um, I don't weigh myself anymore. I haven't weighed myself in probably 25, 26 years. And the reason why is because if I get on the scale and it says I weigh more than I thought I should weigh, I get all depressed and I eat more. And if I get on the scale and it says I weigh less than I thought I should weigh, I get all excited and I eat more. Um, I also wish I had a dollar for every time a sponsor called me and said, yeah, I accidentally, or I accidentally heard what my weight was at the doctor's office, or I'm just weighing myself once a week, really not getting in my head about it. I have never in my entire 56 years gotten on a scale and not gotten in my head about it. Ever. Not once. I, mean, I just feel like, I know, I heard a speaker share her a few weeks, I listened to your, your, the podcast, you know, talking about you know, how it's just like, it's impossible to, to do it, right? To, I've, my eating disorder needs to be not about my weight, not about my food, um, not about how I'm looking in the outside world, right? It needs to, what I love about recovery is it strips all of that away and just makes it about how am I doing life today on life's terms, um, I, um, another big surrender I had was, um, I wanted to be a wife and a mom. And apparently I shared about it all the time whenever I was asked to speak because I was at the OA convention after I'd met my husband and I shared that I was like engaged or married or whatever. And two women came up to me. They're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> they were like so tired. I guess they'd heard me speak multiple times and they were so tired of hearing me talk about wanting to be a wife and a mom. I want to be a wife and a mom. Um, and how I met my husband was October of 1999, and I had this desire to be a wife and mom, as you can hear. It was so overwhelming. It was so big. And I, um, it, was, it permeated me. It, it, I breathed it, right? And in October of 1999, my life was beyond incomprehensible. It was better than anything I could have ever have imagined. But, you know, I was, it was like 36 years old. And I said, okay, God. I said, okay, we're going to do this. If I don't meet anybody, okay. If this is as good as it gets, I'm down. This is good enough, God. I had a really successful career. I had amazing friends. I had a rockin' program. I was traveling wherever I wanted to travel, going to whatever restaurant I wanted to go to. I had money in the bank. I had my own house. I had everything, but I, was, I wasn't ever looking at these like beautiful everythings that I had. All I was looking at was, but the wife, the husband, and the children. And I was like, all right, God, I give up. And it wasn't a give up like, poor me, I'm going to be single the rest of my life. It was just like, you know what, God, you just, you decide, whatever. I will take this because this is good enough. And I decided I was just going to live my life to the fullest and no longer covet. I'm not going to do online dating. I'm not going to hand out my phone number. I'm not going to go purposely flirt. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do squat. And that was October of 1999. December 31st, 1999, I threw a party at my house 
for the millennium, and I was terrified. I thought, oh my God, what if people have a bad time at my house in the millennium? They will never forget me, because it's always about me. And I threw this party, and I threw it with a girlfriend of mine, and my girlfriend invited an old boyfriend of hers, and that old boyfriend of hers invited his roommate, whose New Year's resolution was to go someplace where he didn't know anybody. And have and learned to have conversation with them because he was fundamentally shy. You'd never know that because he's in sales now, but he was just shy and felt awkward. And I remember I came out of my kitchen because I was preparing all this food, and I walk onto my back porch and I look down and there's this tall, dark, and handsome guy, and I was like, "Oh, he's cute." So I'm going to go introduce myself to my guests. I introduced myself to him, and then I ignored him the rest of the night. Except I got one picture with him because I thought, I will never see this very handsome guy again. And that was it. That's all I did. The old me would have been up in this poor boy's face. But the new me, the new me was like, whatever. Okay, God. And, um, and he tracked me down. He hunted me down. And my poor sponsees, I tell them this story all the time. I'm like, let go. Let God. Like, just trust. You don't have to do anything. And and people will say to me, but I'm not even dating. I'm like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It only takes one. Just one. And God brought him to my door is the running joke. And, you know, we've been married. We've been together. So here we go. This New Year's Eve will be 20 years we've been together. And we've been married 18 and a half. And he is um, he's perfect for me. Right? I wouldn't necessarily wish me on anybody else. I wouldn't wish him on anybody else. I'm complicated. But he's perfect for me. And, um, and we have an extremely good life. Um, and not without real life stuff. You know, today, I flew in last night at midnight. Um, and uh, I went to my mother-in-law's, his mom's house. Um, because she, her breast cancer might be back. And she's really a fragile person. My, my father-in-law's still around too, so they're together. But I just, I got to go surprise her today. And it felt so good. Like, because of OA, I am clear and I am, like, here in the world. I am experiencing the world. I'm not stuck in my head missing life. And um, these podcasts have sort of played a role in my life recently. I was um, in Texas for Thanksgiving, and I had this sensation come over me that I'd never had in abstinence before, and it was this weird not caring about what food I put in my body, how much I put in my body. It wasn't like I was going to go and binge or eat sugar or anything like that. It was just like food schmood. Like, and I, it's, the reason why it's hard to describe that is because I go through my life not really thinking about food. Like, I love food. Can't wait to go have dinner with my friend Denise tonight. Thank you for coming out. Um, yeah, but it was a weird just like, yeah, who cares? Like, it, it was bizarre. And I thought, okay, that's, I don't like that sensation. And, um, and so I um, listened to a podcast in Texas because I couldn't get to a meeting. And I listened to several. And it totally switched things around, just boosted my program back up. So now I'm like an obsessive listener to podcasts. And um, you guys had a speaker here a few weeks ago who had 40 years of abstinence. And he talked about starting to count calories um, a few years ago. Now, I've been around a long time. Calories are not... I have never counted calories in my absence. Never. Just, I've always kind of put my nose up at it a little bit, quite frankly. And and I was like, oh, that's an interesting concept, counting calories. All right, let's try it. Like, just out of the blue. It's like when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And so for the last week, I've been sort of just sort of observing that. And and I 
think the reason why I'm right is like I'm 56 years old, menopause, my metabolism ground to a halt. I'm constantly injured for some reason. My body just can't do physical things like it used to do. And so I'm not like able to work out very much. And um, I've had this chronic fatigue thing that just made me just bone tired. And in Colorado, I'm so over the weather. The, the winters are so uninteresting. And um, <laughs> You know, I really wish I was here, although the traffic here is a little daunting. Um, and so clearly, and I've been saying to my sponsor for a while, I think I'm eating just a little too much at dinner. Like, that's it, just a little too much at dinner. And so for the past week, I thought, let's try this calorie counting, not in an obsessive way, but just to, just to kind of get a reality check. Like, well, how much am I eating? Do you guys know how much, how little steak there is in four ounces? Like, I'm sorry, I looked at that, I was like, okay, that is so not enough, but I'll try it. And, um, and ironically, I didn't even finish it, which was so funny. Um, so it's not going to be forever. It's really just for right now to get, uh, to just sort of shift me a little bit. In fact, if I even keep it up for another week, I would be surprised. But, but what it's done is it's been a little bit eye-opening. Like, okay, I just need to eat less. You know, I took my mother-in-law out to lunch today, and it was Gujarati Indian food. I'm sure nobody here knows what that is. And there's, it's impossible to count calories, right? But I just, my thing was, well, okay, God, help me just eat less than what I would have eaten the last time I brought her here. That's what I did. And, and I also, a big prayer I do is, God, please let me know when I'm done. Okay, can I tell you how effective that God let me know when I'm done thing is? That's wild, like, it has never failed every time. And what is so funny to me is how rarely I use it. Because sometimes I really don't want to know when I'm done, right? You know, just like a little bit extra more, just a little bit. Um, again, that's just, it's just my eating disorder. You know, I, um, right now, where I'm at in my life is um, everything is fine for me. Right, I'm I'm a little bit more worried about sort of like my dad, who's my best friend. He um, got diagnosed with bladder cancer about four and a half years ago, and for all intents and purposes, should be dead, but he's still alive. And he has been he lived with me, he and his wife lived with me for six months this year, and um, so that kind of is like ooh, but I but I mean, given what I need to do it, right? And then my mother-in-law. You know, the fact that I'm even here this weekend, she just found out on, she had a biopsy on Thursday, found out yesterday that her, that the can, it's cancer, cancer, and there was one, I'm supposed to go home Sunday night, and there was one flight on Tuesday night leaving out of Orange County at a price I could afford. All the other flights were $380, and this one was like 120 One flight at the exact time, you know, and like that to me is God. And so now what I do is, when I'm going through stuff in my life, I just ask God to break his anonymity, right? To just sort of show me what, you know, what he wants. The, one of the things I heard, I think I might have even heard it from one of these podcasts or maybe a different one I was listening to, but it, it was like, instead of talking to God, I'm asking God, talk to me. Like, tell me, God, what you want. What, and it, it, it feels like I'm kind of at a little bit of a renaissance in my recovery to not be coveting and just be like, okay, God, you tell me how I'm supposed to do this life on life's terms thing. You know, I don't, getting abstinent doesn't mean that um, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me again. What abstinence has done for me and, and my higher power, who I choose to call God, is um, the promise that I am made is that I will be given what I need to get through anything. 
Like, that's it. Anything. Right? Because as a compulsive overeater, life is just trickier for me. And, you know, the way I choose to cope, you know, before I got here was with food. And now what's fantastic is I have all these tools, right? I have my sponsor. I have sponsees. I have friends. I have all these people that I can reach out to to help me just sort of walk out the door in the morning. I am somebody who, until I got some recovery under my belt, it wasn't right away, was, was afraid to walk out the door. I wasn't agoraphobic, but I was just like, ooh, that looks hard out there. You know, and because of this, I, um, I get to live this life that is just wild. Like, it's wild. Like, I live in Colorado. Who would have thought that? I'm married to a man who is um, four years younger than me, who is Indian engineer who went to USC, you know? And I'm like, if someone had come down and said, that's who you're going to marry, I'd have been like, ha, no way. You know, I went to UCLA, so um, <laughs> not, not about USC, guys. Um, this, the story um, that I didn't tell that I can tell real quickly, um, so I talked about my mom. Leslie's heard this a few times, I think. I talked about my mom. She was 59 um, when, she was 56 when she got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and 59 when she was dying from it. And my husband and I had been trying to have kids, and we'd done multiple rounds of in vitro. And, or, well, this is actually the first round of in vitro. Ultimately, we did multiple. But the first round of in vitro, I got pregnant while my mom was dying in the hospital. And it was one of those really incredible moments of, like, out of death is coming life. And how profound is this? And it just felt so big. And then my mom died, and four days later, I had the miscarriage. And here's where God is is that we went and did um, two more rounds of in vitro, two more miscarriages. Um, and I called my husband. We'd already know, always known we were going to adopt our second kid, and so this was going to be our first kid. And I said, I think we should start adoption. He said, go for it. And so I started the adoption, and I was two weeks into the adoption process, like literally from that last round of in vitro, two weeks in. And my husband was like, you know, we should stop. The, in vitro, the adoption process. I think let's do another round of in vitro, which was really easy for him to say because he wasn't getting all the shots and going through all the crap. I mean, it's just it's a horrible thing in vitro. And, um, and I'm like, no, because the adoption stuff was just like falling into place. Boom, 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 boom. And we we're going to adopt from India, which takes about two to three years, and we're a whopping two weeks into it. And I called my AA sponsor, um, whose funeral I'm going to tomorrow. This makes me so sad. And um, I said, my husband wants me to stop the adoption process. And uh, I said, I, I said it's, it's not God's will. God's will is for me to do this adoption. And she said, that is not God's will if it's not your husband's will. And what she was really trying to tell me, because she explained this to me later, is that God's will has no obstacles. And so I was willing to surrender it. And two hours later, I got the phone call that, that the or- the adoption agency we were using had a little baby that they wanted to give us. Mm-hmm. And we brought her home five and a half months later. Stay. This thing works. Go all in. As a friend of mine in Colorado says, come all the way in and sit all the way down. Thanks for letting me share. Mm-hmm.